The Wealthy Industrialist, The Gospel of Wealth by multi-billionaire Andrew Carnegie. Welcome to the 25th edition of The Wealth Letters, a collection of letters written by people from all walks of life, the titans of success to ordinary folks, that provide universal keys to finding a wealthy life. Please read or listen to the manifesto linked here before reading the collection to better understand this project's purpose. The following is an excerpt from Andrew Carnegie's essay written in 1889, which has come to be known as The Gospel of Wealth and was originally published in the North American Review. The entirety of the essay can be read at carnegie.org, and that's linked here. Andrew Carnegie, born in 1835, died in 1919, was one of the titans of America's Gilded Age and considered to be one of the most successful entrepreneurs in world history. He was also a prolific author, writing hundreds of speeches and seven books. Carnegie wrote two articles first published in the North American Review in 1889, which together have come to be known as the Gospel of Wealth. Carnegie boldly articulated his view of the rich as mere trustees of their wealth, who should live unostentatiously, provide moderately for their families, and use their fortunes to promote the, quote, general good. Carnegie believed in giving wealth away during one's lifetime. He gave away 90% of his wealth, which was the equivalent of $5.9 billion in 2022. And that source is linked here. And now for an excerpt from Carnegie's essay, The Gospel of Wealth. The problem of our age is the proper administration of wealth, so that the ties of brotherhood may still bind together the rich and poor in a harmonious relationship. The conditions of human life have not only been changed, but revolutionized within the past few hundred years. In former days, there was little difference between the dwelling, dress, food, and environment of the chief and those of his retainers. The Indians are today where, where civilized man then was. When visiting the Sioux, I was led to the wigwam of the chief. It was just like the others in external appearance, and even within the difference was trifling between it and those of the poorest of his braves. The contrast between the palace of the millionaire and the cottage of the laborer with us today measures the change which has come with civilization. It is easy to see how the changes come. One illustration will serve for almost every phase of the cause. In the manufacture of products, we have the whole story. It applies to all combinations of human industry, as stimulated and enlarged by the inventions of this scientific age. Formerly, articles were manufactured at the domestic hearth or in small shops which formed part of the household. The master and his apprentices worked side by side, the latter living with the master and therefore subject to the same conditions. When these apprentices arose to be masters, there was little or no change in their mode of life, and they, in turn, educated in the same routine succeeding apprentices. There was substantially social equality and even political equality for those engaged in industrial pursuits had then little or no political voice in the state. But the inevitable result of such a mode of manufacture was crude articles at high prices. Today, the world obtains commodities of excellent quality at prices which even the generation preceding this would have deemed incredible. In the commercial world, similar causes have produced similar results, and the race has benefited thereby. The poor enjoy what the rich could not before afford. What were the luxuries have become the necessities of life. The laborer has now more comforts than the landlord had a few generations ago. The farmer has more luxuries than the landlord had, 
and is more richly clad and better housed. Poor and restricted are our opportunities in this life. Narrow our horizon, our best work most imperfect, but rich men should be thankful for one inestimable boon. They have it in their power during their lives to busy themselves in organizing benefactions from which the masses of their fellows will derive lasting advantage and thus dignify their own lives. The highest life is probably to be reached not by such imitation of the life of Christ as Count Tolstoy gives us, but while animated by Christ's spirit, by recognizing the changed conditions of this age and adopting modes of expressing this spirit suitable to the changed conditions under which we live, still laboring for the good of our fellows, which was the essence of his life and teaching, but laboring in a different manner. This, then, is held to be the duty of the man of wealth. First, to set an example of modest, unostentatious living, shunning display or extravagance, to provide moderately for the legitimate wants of those dependent upon him, and after doing so, to consider all surplus revenues, which come to him simply as trust funds, which he is called upon to administer, and strictly bound as a matter of duty to administer, in the manner which, in his judgment, is best calculated to produce the most beneficial results for the community. The man of wealth thus becoming the mere agent and trustee for his poorer brethren, bringing to their service his superior wisdom, experience, and ability to administer, doing for them better than they would or could do for themselves. The best uses to which surplus wealth can be put have already been indicated. These who would administer wisely must indeed be wise. For one of the serious obstacles to the improvement of our race is indiscriminate charity. It were better for mankind that the millions of the rich were thrown into the sea than so spent as to encourage the slothful, the drunken, the unworthy. In bestowing charity, the main consideration should be to help those who will help themselves, to provide part of the means by which those who desire to improve may do so, to give those who desire to use the aids by which they may rise, to assist, but rarely or never to do all. Thus is the problem of rich and poor to be solved. The laws of accumulation will be left free, the laws of distribution free. Individualism will continue, but the millionaire will be a trustee for the poor, entrusted for a season with a great part of the increased wealth of the community, but administering it for the community far better than it could or would have done for itself. Such, in my opinion, is the true gospel concerning wealth, obedience to which is destined some day to solve the problem of the rich and the poor, and to bring peace on earth among men goodwill. And that is the end of an excerpt of Andrew Carnegie's letter. Again, you can read his full essay that was published in 1889, and that's linked at the top of this article at carnegie.org. I just want to give another shout-out similar to last edition from Chanel Basilio. She has referred 20 people to the newsletter. Uh, Chanel writes a newsletter called Growth in Reverse, where she reverse engineers how top creators grow from zero to 50,000 plus readers. Even if you're not a creator, I I think you will appreciate how much time and effort she does put into her deep dives. Uh, So a link to her newsletter is here. If you go to the leaderboard on the newsletter, and that's linked here, You can share a custom link with your friends and get some different rewards, like getting listed in the future published book of the Wealth Letters as a founding supporter, for example. 
Um, would you just be awesome like Chanel and share with a few friends? You can share the link by text, by email, or by socials. Uh, again, my goal with this project is to try and reach and help as many people as possible navigate this idea of living a wealthy life and what that all entails. I very much appreciate your support. You can reach out to me by email, and that is here, or you can comment on this post.